Okay, let's try the book of Jude today. Uh, We're in the paragraph from verse 17 through verse 21. And I'm going to keep working on this a little bit because this is where it gets rather personal, folks. This is where it comes down to what are we to do? Because we've walked through a very heavy section, we know, from verse uh, 4 to verse 16. And it dealt with false teachers and their identity. And then verse 18 added a little bit more. And verse 19 adds a little bit more. And none of it is pleasant. And yet we've worked our way through that. And you've, you've been able to endure 26 weeks of this already. So I commend you for that. Um, there's only 25 verses. And we just hardly touched it. So I think what we'll do is finish all 25 eventually. And then go back over it again, just to see if there's more we could add to that. Well, anyway, verse 17 through 21. I'm going to read that to you. Follow it along in your Bible text this morning. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer and get started here. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you just as your, your dependent children, asking that you might uh, feed us, guide us, shape us, work in us, Lord, to understand even, and yet more than that, to put into practice the things that we are taught. We are dependent upon you for all of this, for apart from you we can do nothing. We readily confess that. And so we come before you today with our Bibles open and our hearts open too. And ask that you might guide us through our passage today. And challenge us thoroughly, we pray. So that when we come out from here, we know what we are to do. And we're committed to following you. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. We give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as you already know. Many of you have been here many weeks. Some of you are here for the first time. Uh, Jude has issued an alarm in this book to his readers. False teachers have wormed their way in. One translation actually says it that way. I like that. They've wormed their way in. They crept in. As J. Vernon McGee says, then they must be creeps. They crept in. But they did. And Jude was very concerned about that because they were in the congregation he was writing to. And as a pastor's heart, I understand these words and I would be alarmed too. And Jude is raising that concern because they're altering God's word. According to verse number four, they turned grace into sin. And they have denied the one, the only one, by the way, who can ever save you. You deny him, what do you have? Nothing. And he says, that's what they're doing. And and when you remove Christ and his grace from the church, what else is there? But that's what the false teachers have been doing in this particular congregation. 
And we read of their characteristics, as I said, in verse 4, all the way through verse 16. And they are very unpleasant. And that's the softest way to say it. They are very unpleasant characteristics. And it's not a fun section to read at Hope. But I, I, I think that at the end of this, we should be better informed and better prepared if they ever come our way. And folks, don't think that it's a long ways off. Because people who teach like this and, and believe like this and act like this are just outside the doors. They're out there. They're in other communities, and I pray that they're not within us. But uh, at the same time, the question has to be, what do we do? What do we do? And that's where we are in our study here, uh, because what we need to do in response to Jude's letter is something real simple. And it's something we need to do, whether we're helping our brothers and sisters in Christ or something we need to do for ourselves as well. We need to be prepared and well-grounded in the Word and mature in Jesus Christ so that we're strong enough to help our brothers and sisters who get caught up because of immaturity, because they get deceived, because they get caught up in something. And we need to be prepared when that ungodly person sneaks in and takes control of a fellowship, that we are standing firm in Christ. We must be firm in Christ. I call it growing. And if you're not growing, I I don't understand why not. Uh, But that's our call in the Christian walk. And I could take you to epistle after epistle after epistle and say, you need to be growing. You need to be growing. So, guess what verse number 20 starts with? Growing. And there we got it. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, we've invested a lot of time in verse 17. That was command number one. There are four commands. Command number one was remember. Remember the words that you have heard. And that, I, I emphasize it in a Greek tense. It's the aorist. It's an urgent thing. It's as if you've never done it before. Start now. Remembering. Remembering what you've been told. I know it's the pastor's hobby horse. But I'm going to keep on it. Alright? I like this horse. I'm not going to change in the middle of the stream. It's my preoccupation. It's my passionate appeal to you. Know the word. Know it. Know it. Know it. And whatever extent you know it now, know it more. We're called to do that. Because honestly, everything that works in the Christian life and all we're called to be and all we're called to do brings us right back to this book every time as our instructions. We need to know this. We need to know it. You know, even faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. So where, where can you go? Anywhere in the Christian walk and do it without God's Word. But here's the point. If you're ever going to remember, you have had to hear it first. Because you can't remember what you've never heard. And you can't remember what you've never read. And so you've got to read. And you've got to hear it so that you can remember it. That was command number one. And if you want more of the pastor beating you on that one, it's on the website, all those sermons. Just listen to them again, because that's where I was for quite a few weeks. This week, we move on to command number two. 
It's in verse number 20, or 21, rather. It's all one sentence, 20 and 21. But command number two. It doesn't mean, by the way, to move to command number two, that we're done with command number one. Let's forget about that one. Because remembering is still remembering. And you're to continue to do that. Because, honestly, I don't know how you could do command two without command number one. How could you remember to stay near the love of God if you don't remember His love? If you forget what it's like and you forget His character, how could you ever remember? Uh, these things are important. So, we're going to look at command number two. And it's really based on something simple. And it comes down to verse number 24. Before I even talk about it, who is able? God is able. That's been our theme this whole year. God is able. And we underscore that. We put it in big print. We circle it. We put stars around it. We put arrows pointing to it. He is able. And we have to remember all that because, honestly, command number two will not make sense to you unless you understand that truth. It's God who is able. Okay. I set you up for it. Here's the command. It's in verse number 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's an aorist tense as well. It's urgent. It is urgent. And it really, really, really is. This is not a minor issue along the way. It's not a soft thing to say, well, I'll try a little bit of that. Uh, keep yourselves in the love of God. That is a command that we ought to take very seriously. And we're going to have to dissect it a little bit to understand it, aren't we? But we're going to do all that. Let me, let me stop and, and walk through verse 20 and 21 here so you see the big picture as we start to zero in. There are four things to observe in 20 and 21. Four things to observe. Three of them are descriptive terms. Three of them identify you. We call them participles in the Greek grammar. Those are identification terms. And so, they work something like an active adjective, if you will. A verbal adjective. It's, it's an action going on. And they're supposed to be descriptive of you. Three of them are in verse number 20 and 21. One of them is the command. And that's the one we see in verse number 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The other three are the participles that are to describe you. Building yourselves up in the, Christian, in the Holy Faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Waiting, verse 21, anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Those three characteristics are supposed to describe us. Why did I say supposed to? Don't you hate that? It's because it might not. If we haven't spent much time in God's Word, these are not really going to relate to us because we're not doing it. Let's start with verse 20. And let's start with the first one and let's see what you think of this. You are ones who are constantly building yourselves up. Is he assuming too much? Oh, let's try a different one. Verse 20. You are ones who are constantly praying in the Holy Spirit. Is he assuming too much? Do you feel convicted just by the way I read that? 
I was reading it just as the Greek would literally say it. Is this too big? It's four sizes too large for us? What's Jude doing to these people? He's showing them what your calling is all about. Are you living up to it? It gets personal. Verse number 21. You are ones who are constantly waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. In other words, you have an eye on heaven and can't wait to be with him. Is that a true description of you? That's what he's saying. Are you like this? Folks, none of these three things are optional. I want you to understand this. None of these are optional. This is not pick one out of three and see which one you like the best. Right? They are all required of a believer in Jesus Christ. These are three things that should be true of us. They're not attachments to your Christian life like you've got on your vacuum cleaner. All right? Eventually, the attachments on a vacuum cleaner get lost or broken because they're mostly plastic anyway. And you have to go on vacuuming without them. And you say, that's okay, the vacuum still works. I want, to, I want to try to set a picture before you just to enforce this concept. And I, I was trying to think of a picture of this this past week. Of How do I describe this in a, in a more uh, personal way? How do I say these things are required of you whether you like it or not? I don't mean to quite say it that way, but that's the way. How do, how do you grasp this? And all I could think of is a salad. And anybody know me? And my, and my desire for salads, I want to tell you some great news. Sometimes when we, when we talk about salads, we talk about the variety in salads, and that's based on one's taste, you know, what you like in your salad. Sometimes when I read or hear, read a, a book or hear a message or something, and there might be things in that message or in that book that I disagree with, I think about the fact that... Uh, Sometimes there's theological parts I don't like. Some parts are edifying. Some parts are encouraging. And people say, well, what do you do with it? This guy has this one point that's really bad, but it's, you know, it's only in his book. What do you do about that? And I say, well, the things I don't like in my salad, I pick out. But I enjoy the salad sometimes. I'll tell you how I like it. When you take a salad and set it before me and you've got onions in there, they're out. You got peppers in there? They're out too. I, I'm going to take out the radishes and the cucumbers. I'm going to take out the tomatoes many times. I'm going to even take out the green leafy things. And all I've got left is cheese and bacon. <laughs> That's a salad to me. All right? I'm happy with that one. Now, here's the good news with all that. I was at the doctor the other day. We're working on a condition I do have. It's an inherited blood disease from grandpa or somebody. I don't know who gave it to me. Uh, it's treatable. I'm doing well. My blood count numbers are really, really good. I thank the Lord for that. I'm glad they found it because it causes strokes. And so I'm very glad to know that. But with that comes certain things that, would, that causes iron buildup, and they've got to keep that down. So I said to my doctor this week, I said, so what should I be avoiding? And the first things the doctor said was those green leafy vegetables. I was on it. I said, yes! And so I said, that's really nice to hear. And the doctor says, and steaks 
too. And I said, well, okay, well, I understand that. I just wanted to hear a doctor say, avoid a salad, all right? And she laughed when I, I said, I heard it, you said it, my doctor said, don't eat salads. So, I'm okay. I am a picky eater sometimes, I confess. But that's the point. Many times we pick things out we don't want to eat, right? You do that too, whatever you don't like, you pick it out. Here's a parable for you today. The Christian diet is like a salad that was picked through and the good parts were discarded. When we read verse uh, 20 and 21, it is our tendency to pick out the parts we don't want to do. You say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And so we dispense of things that we think, you know, let me choose two out of three here, and I'm doing pretty good. Maybe better than the guy next to me who's only doing one of them. Well, folks, I just want to make it very clear. These three things are not disposable. They're not dispensable in the Christian life. None of these three things are things that you can pick from and say, I'll take two and not three. All three are to be our description. All three are to say, this is who I am. All three speak of a healthy congregation and a healthy believer and a useful congregation and a useful believer. All three of these. They're the kind of things that benefit your brother and sister in Christ and bring glory to your Lord. Don't we want all three? One person said yes. I saw a head go. Everybody else has said, I'm still thinking. Four things, but three of them are descriptive terms. Before we even talk about the command, let's see who we are supposed to be. That way the command makes a whole lot more sense. So, verse number 20, item number 1. These are your descriptions. You are ones who are constantly, underscore that, constantly, I know it's not in the English, but that's the Greek verb tense, constantly building yourselves up in the Holy Faith. All right, again, is Jude assuming too much of us? We are to be constantly, constantly, constantly building ourselves up in the holy faith. The Amplified Version has the idea, and I like it very much, we're to be making progress, rising like an edifice, a building, higher and higher and higher. Where you are today in your faith, you should be stronger tomorrow. And you should be stronger today than you were yesterday. That's what it looks like. Constantly building up means you're going upwards, upwards, upwards. When Paul wrote to the, uh, well, spoke to the men of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he brought up that point. They, they, these were guys that he administered to for many years, so it's over three years. He admonished them, admonished them, admonished them to grow in their faith. And he says, I've got to leave. 
He was on his way to Jerusalem and he knew he was, well, the prophecies that the Lord gave to him, he was going to be arrested. He thought, well, that might be the end. I don't know if I'll ever see these folks again. I've invested a lot in my ministry to them. And so what do I say at the last moment? This is what he said to them in Acts 20, 32. I commend you to God and to the Word and to His grace, which is able to build you up. Paul says, I can't be there to build anymore. But that's okay. God's Word does it. God's grace does it. I commend you to Him because He's going to build you. Matter of fact, even better than I can. That's more, that's wonderful. I mean, sometimes we depend on people to teach us, and we go to them often, we say, teach us, teach us, teach us, and we build ourselves on what they can do. But when you ask God to build you folks, remember, He's a pretty good carpenter, number one. And number two, He created this whole world with just His words. What do you think He could do in your life? He's a builder, and He can do it. And that's what we're told to do. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, Pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Here's a new perspective for you if you've never had it before. But look at all your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. You are to be building them. Do you know that? You and I have a responsibility. And I said, you and I. It's not just your pastor. But all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be building up one another. Do you know that? You bring your tools? That's our job. We're called to do that. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, it says, You should be zealous of spiritual gifts. Seek them to abound for the edification of the church. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me the tools, whatever you want to give me, but give me something that I could build somebody with. When's the last time you looked outside of yourself and thought about building up? Because that's what we're called to do. He said also in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, he says, What do we do, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation, but let all of that be done, whatever is done, for edification. When it's all said and done, when we walk from this building today, whether they've been leading in music, whether they've been greeting you at the door, whether they've been praying for you, whether they're sitting beside you right now and praying for you even now, let it be said that when we go out that door, edification has taken place in this room. We've all grown. That's what it says. I could take you passage after passage after passage, but my favorites are in Ephesians 4. Love this little section for verse 12 to 16. I'll just read it to you, but you'll get the flavor. He talks about pastors and teachers in verse 11, which gets personal to me. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a mature man, and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, Anybody here absolutely mature and Christ-like? Our job's not done yet, is it? We're all called to do this. 
He says, as a result, if we do this, we're no longer like children where we're tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, the craftiness of deceitful scheming. That is what happened to Jude's audience. They were not growing as a result. I'm reading between the lines, but now I know why their problems existed. They weren't growing, and they were like children being tossed around by this false teacher or teachers that certain persons that said crept in unnoticed. They were getting knocked all over the place, and now you know why Jude so worked out. He says, I want him to speak the truth in love, so we all grow up in aspects into him who is ahead, even Christ, so that the whole body... Get this. The whole body, no, not one of you is excluded. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When you're not participating, the body as a whole is hurting. Do you know it? If you're not building up in your faith, you are hurting your brothers and sisters in Christ. Take it seriously. The key element, uh, Hebert said in his commentary, in the antidote to apostasy is the vital and growing relationship with God. We are to build, build, build. Don't pick that out of your salad. Don't pick it out of your salad. Don't say, that's not important to me. You know, all this Bible reading stuff and Bible study stuff you're talking about. That's not for me. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. With so many other spiritual things, it takes our heart and our will to be engaged to do it. You know that, don't you? You know, it's, it's not our natural bend. To say, boy, I want to just grow in, in the things of the Lord. Right now, I just want to go spend time reading my Bible and growing and growing. That, that's, that's a problem we have because with our human natural state, the more spiritual something is, the more likely we are to run from it. D.L. Moody used to say that seven days without the Bible makes one week. W-E-A-K. He also said, I've never saw a useful Christian that was not a student of the Bible. He said, but, but you know what? Remembering the Word, you can't remember if you haven't read it. Building yourselves up, that's the essence of building. You cannot build a house without the material. That's said when he shows up to the job site. They didn't buy anything, but you got to make it. How? No material. How do, you, how do you build up if you don't have material? They say, well, I can't buy material for you to build with because it's too costly. Try that one on the next contractor. It's too costly. I can't build for you. It's too difficult to find the material, so I, I'm not going to do it. It consumes too much of my time. I'm not going to do it. I could say honestly, when it comes to building yourselves up in the most holy faith, that means studying your word in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, just say so. We've got them all over this place. We'll hand you one right now. But I'm going to guess you have one. I'm going to guess that most homes have more than one. Two, three, four. You want an app on your phone that has 1,400 Bibles? 
Gideons.com or whatever it is. I don't know what that. There's an app that they will put. I mean, all those Bibles. You've got apps. You've got Bibles. You've got audio. You've got it on your computer. You've got it on websites. You've got. Where, where can you go and say, I can't get a copy of God's Word? Really? Oh, it costs too much. You know, most of those are free. Those apps, they're free. You say, oh, okay. Uh, it's so hard to find them. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, it's just consuming too much of my time. Ah, now we're starting to touch a spot. Too much of your time? What kind of excuse do we want to use to avoid building ourselves up in Christ? Is it time constraints? I'm too busy. Family matters? I've got, I've got to invest in my kids. We dealt with that a lot at the, when I was in the Indiana Bible Church Mission. It was one of the biggest struggles with church planting, was that many of the families that we were targeting and bringing in and starting church, they say, oh, we can't come on Sundays. We've got family things to do. And the answer was always this, why don't you bring your family then? What better thing can you do with your family than learn about Jesus Christ and grow in your faith? But sometimes you say, no, family matters are different. Really? What's the verse about training your child in the way he should go? He won't depart from it when he's older, right? Does that mean anything to us as we're training up our children? Where's a good place to take them anymore? Take them to a place where they can grow. Oh, it's, it, it, it cuts into my family times. Oh, employment demands. I've got to, I, you know, that's important. I know you've got to pay bills and all that stuff. Is your employment more important than your faith in Christ? Just asking. Think that through for a minute. How many years do you generally work? 30, 40, 50 maybe? How long are you going to be with the Lord? You see the comparison? We invest in an awful lot of things that are temporary, folks. We put a lot of things into what's temporary. And we let those demand all of our energies and all our thoughts and our health and our education. You say, well, I can't, I can't study the Bible. I don't have education. I don't know how to do it. You know what your pastor is here for? You know what? I even have stuff ready for you. Just come and ask me. Say, I want to learn more about how to study the Bible. I'm ready for that one. I've got that. That's what a tool I could bring you. Lack of desire. I just don't feel like it. Can I say the word laziness? Am I allowed to say that right now? What is it that stops us from building ourselves up in the most holy faith? What is it that makes us look at that and say, it's optional. I'm going to pick it out of my salad because it doesn't suit me. What is it about that that tells we tend to walk away from and say, I don't want that. This is a description. It's not even a command. It's a description. And I want to know, do we fit it? Does it wear well on us? Because that's just one of them. There's two more. Second one. Verse 20. You are the ones who are constantly praying. You hear that word again? Constantly Present tense, participle. Constantly praying in the Holy Spirit. Is he assuming too much? 
is he? Do we feel like that description is much too big? It's bigger than what we really are? Do we, do we feel conviction just by the way you heard that? We've got a calling to pray. Do you know that? How many times, oh, you probably don't know. Maybe you do. Depends on how well you study your work. How many times does the New Testament call us to prayer? How many times is that a command? Pray. Pray without ceasing. In other words like that. You've seen it before, haven't you? Have you ever stopped and said, well, that's for somebody else, not for me. You know, this is interesting because when you go into prayer, you're talking to God himself, aren't you? That's who you're communing with. Do you know that the false teachers reject authority? It said that back in verse number 8. They reject authority. Do you think that they pray? No. And do you know what they want you to do? Be like them. I say, don't be like a false teacher. Learn to pray. Pray to God. You have access through Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. You don't need a ticket. You don't have to pay a price. You don't have to wait in line. You can go and talk to Him right now, can't you? Isn't that great about prayer? You can spend your whole night praying, and I can spend my whole night praying in two different states, and God hears both of us. That's so cool. I love the things about prayer. The ungodly do not pray. They do not pray because prayer is a confession. Every time you bow your head to pray, you are confessing something. You are confessing that you are dependent upon God or else you wouldn't go to Him. You are dependent upon God and your prayer ought to be, I'm here, Lord, to obey you. Because even prayer is an act of obedience. And we're, we're not praying people. If we're not praying people, then we must be self-reliant or stubborn. I don't know which it is. Or maybe it's both. I would say we're definitely disobedient if we're not praying. Does the pastor need to paint this any thicker? It's like, We must pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That means I'm not only praying about me, I'm praying about you. And if I'm not praying, I'm letting you down. I'm letting you down. Samuel said this to all the Israel. He says, Far be it from me that I should sin against God in ceasing to pray for you. Do you consider your lack of prayer to be a sin? Because if you know to do what is right and you do not do it, that is sin. Ooh, really? It's in the book of James. R.A. Torrey once said, I must pray, pray, Pray. I must put all my energy and all my heart into prayer. Whatever else I must do, I must pray. We pray to the Spirit. The false teacher is devoid of the Spirit. We saw that earlier. We are meant to be different. Linking all this with the facts that God is able. It's impossible. Impossible. For a man to despair when he remembers that his helper is omnipotent. 
You're going to take that to prayer. Because that's who you're talking to. Prayer necessitates being filled with the Spirit. Notice in the phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit. What is that? When you fill something, it's complete. It's dominating the whole thing. If I fill a glass with lemonade, lemonade is dominating the glass. When you are filled with the Spirit, you're dominated by Him. Not a bad place to be, by the way. He, he dominates you. He controls you. He guides you. He strengthens you. Simply put, well, let's have less of me and more of Him. That should be our desire. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. I want to read to you something that's really, really challenging. A.W. Tozer wrote this in a book called The Divine Conquest. He says, Are you sure you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? who, though he is like Jesus in his gentleness and his love, will nevertheless demand to be Lord of your life. Are you willing to let your personality be taken over by another, even if that other be the Spirit of God himself? If the Spirit takes charge of your life, he will expect unquestioning obedience in everything. He will not tolerate in you the self-sins, even though they are permitted and excused by most Christians. By self-sins, I mean self-love, self-pity, self-seeking, self-confidence, self-righteousness, self-aggrandizement, and self-defense. You will find the Spirit to be in sharp opposition to the easy ways of this world or of the mixed multitude within the precincts of religion. He will be jealous over you for good. He will not allow you to boast or swagger or show off. He will take the direction of your life away from you. He will reserve the rights to test you, to discipline you, to chasten you for your soul's sake. He may even strip you of those borderline pleasures which other Christians enjoy, but which you, for you are a source of refined evil. Though, through it all, He will enfold you in the love so vast so mighty, so all-embracing, so wondrous that your very losses will seem like gains and your small pains like pleasures. Yet the flesh will whimper under his yoke and cry out against it as a burden too great to bear. And you will be permitted to enjoy the solemn privileges of suffering to fill up that which is behind in the afflictions of Christ in your flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, with the conditions before you, do you still want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I go, wow, really? Think about it. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Who are you talking about and who is in you? It's God himself. Three things, just real simple here. You remember the word. You're building yourselves up. And you're submitting to the Holy Spirit in prayer. Is prayer that difficult that we want to throw it out? Is it too costly for me? Is it too difficult to find the time? Is it too consuming of my time? What excuses do you want to lay before us right now? And say, I don't pray because... You do want to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, don't you? Yeah. But it takes time constraints. I've got family matters. I've got employment demands. I've got health reasons. I've got lack of education. I've got lack of desire. I, I'm lazy. 
Is praying in the Holy Spirit optional for the believer? Let me ask you that. Is it optional for us? No, don't pick it out of your salad. (laughs) Got it? That's not okay for us to say, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That's not okay. It's a description that you're supposed to wear. Wow. Rory, would you turn that clock back ten minutes? (laughs) Maybe. I've got more here, folks. Maybe that's enough to chew on right now. I've got the rest of this sermon coming your way. And it's like, whoo it's pretty good. Um, because it's, it goes with the same tone. It follows through with the exact same thing. I'm going to keep going and keep going with these pictures so we get it. This is not optional for us. Not if we're going to stand strong. Not if we're going to stand strong in the day when evil or false teaching comes among us. Not if we're going to be able to build our brother and sister up in Christ. These are not optional items. And so I'm going to have to come back to item three next week and then work my way to the command, which we haven't even touched yet, uh, in verse number 21. And next week I will do it with one eye. I do have surgery again this week. And so uh, I appreciate your prayers. You were very faithful in praying for me last time. And you got me through three months of one eye. And so I'm going to have to do that again starting tomorrow. So if I preach only half of these notes... It's because I only have one eye to see him. But uh, we'll get through that. But I appreciate your prayers. I know you're praying, people. I'm just going to light the fire under you, okay? Because whatever we do right now, let's get better at it. More. Still more. Still more. Let's keep pushing, pushing, pushing. I'm just your coach. Trying to help you see. This is our Christian walk, folks. Are we there? Do we need more work? Let's keep going. Pray for one another, please. Please. Heavenly Father, help us as we're digesting passages like this. We're seeing the Word in front of us, and the call is huge. And you never set before us something really so easy. But folks, this isn't what it's all about. Lord Jesus, you told us that... It's your yoke that we take upon. And we learn of you. And your yoke is easy. Your burden is light because you're really the one carrying it. And when we understand that, we get it. That you're the one who's able, not us. That's why we come to you in prayer. That's why we come to you in faith. That's why we come to you looking for your return. Because you're able, not us. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves. And see what we need to be in Christ Jesus. And to grow there too. That we might be more like Him. And better help for our brother and sister in Christ. So do your work in our midst, Lord. Thank you for being so, so faithful to us. Loving us so deeply like you do. Guiding us so carefully through this life. Always with us. Always with us. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.